You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as always, I'd like to start off with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners in London, Portsmouth, Southampton, Birmingham, Reading, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Cardiff, Derby, Newport, Nottingham, Northampton, Ipswich, Gloucester, Doncaster, Swansea, Guildford, Coventry, and then in Spain, from Barcelona, Malaga, and Bilbao, from Berlin in Germany, from Amsterdam in the Netherlands, Brussels in Belgium, Milan in Italy, Lille in France, Stockholm in Sweden, Sheba in Japan, New South Wales in Australia, Queensland in Australia, Buenos Aires in Argentina, and then Quebec and Alberta in Canada. And then from the USA, we have our first listeners in Utah. And then we have new listeners in California, Washington, D.C., Virginia, Texas, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, New York, New Jersey, Missouri, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Maryland, Illinois, Colorado, and Connecticut. So a great big welcome to all of our new listeners, wherever you are in the world. And as you can probably tell from that list, we now have listeners in pretty well every continent of the uh, of, of the world. And so a big shout out to new listeners and of course a big shout out to all my regular listeners where I really appreciate you taking around half an hour every week to out of your week to listen to the uh, latest news and updates on the world of GDPR and I hope that you find the uh, broadcast entertaining and informative and as always I love receiving your feedback so please send any feedback to by email to podcast at insurety.co.uk that's e-n-s-u-r-e-t-y dot co.uk or you can go to our website at www.insurety.co.uk go to the podcast page and there you'll find a link where you can leave us any feedback and in addition there you'll find a whole list of all of the episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show so if you've missed any then that's a great place to go and find them Although, of course, we're also on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, and we're on YouTube. And we have an increasing number of people now listening to our podcast every week on YouTube, so a big welcome to you. And in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news of yet another major data breach at Facebook. We have a report in association with the Financial Times um, of possible data breaches at the British Airways call centre at Bremen in Germany. We have some figures from the ICO on data breach compliance and whether companies and organisations within the UK are complying with the 72-hour rule for reporting breaches. We then have an article to USB or not USB 
That is the question. And then finally, an article on two paper-based data breaches, just to remind everyone that GDPR does not only apply to electronic records, but to paper records too. So as usual, a nice mixed bag of articles for you in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Regular listeners to the show will know that we often have mention of um, data breaches concerning Facebook, and this week is no exception. Uh, although this breach actually goes back way before GDPR, but nonetheless has just made the news wires this week. Um, you may have seen that Facebook has acknowledged that its employees had access to millions of user passwords which weren't encrypted at all. They were just stored in plain text and so the uh, employees could see your username and your password with no problem at all. Uh, Facebook estimate that the issue has probably affected between 200 million and 600 million of their customers and it's been ongoing since 2012 and it's not yet clear when the issue was actually resolved that's something which is currently being investigated um, the iris data protection commission which administers gdpr for uh europe on any matters relating to facebook said that they were in communication with Facebook over this issue and they would issue a press statement in due course. Nothing has come out of them since um, in the time before we've gone to press. But if we hear any news from them in the next few days, we'll talk to bring it to you in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. If the upper figure is correct and this issue has affected 600 million users then that is almost a quarter of Facebook's current user base of approximately 2.7 billion people. The company said on Thursday that it was planning to start notifying those affected so that they could change their passwords. In a statement Facebook said that as part of a routine security review in January we found that some user passwords have been installed in a readable format within our internal data storage systems. This caught our attention because our login systems are designed to mask passwords using techniques that make them unreadable. We have now fixed these issues and as a precaution we have been notifying everyone whose passwords we have found were stored in this way. We know that the, uh, inst- the incidents date back to as early as 2012. Uh, and as I say, Facebook are now saying that they've fixed the issue and they will be notifying everybody. But we can expect again that the Irish ICO will be looking to impose a penalty on Facebook for this, not only because of the data breach, but that Facebook once again, even once it was discovered, took no real effort to try and report the issue within 72 hours of them becoming aware of it. And since this is not the first time that Facebook have ignored the 72-hour limit, I would think it's likely that they're going to get a fairly substantial penalty for this. 
and indeed it would seem that the stock markets are reacting to this in that uh, since this news of this breach broke on Thursday, uh, Facebook shares are trading down 1% on what they were before the breach was uh, publicised. So, yet another massive data breach involving Facebook. And as always, when we get any news, any update on this data breach or on any actions to be taken by the Irish regulator, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Another data breach this week uh, involving Nokia uh, mobile phones. The Norwegian ICO has announced that they are investigating allegations that uh, some models of the Nokia 7 Plus are transmitting data unencrypted to servers in China. The servers in question are reportedly run by China Telecom, which is owned by the Chinese government. As far as we know at the moment, what happens is that a data packet is being sent to the server in China any time that the phone is turned on or unlocked and the data uploaded contains information including the phone's geographical location, the SIM card number and the phone's serial number. As soon as the Finnish ICO got wind of the same, they opened the investigation into Finland HMD Global, who are Nokia's parent company, and their initial investigations have revealed that they believe there is enough evidence to warrant a full investigation. The ombudsman, Rejo Enio, said that they were certain that there had been a violation of GDPR legislation. For the company, an HMD spokesman admitted that several phones sold outside of China had sent data to the server as part of the Chinese registration process by mistake. The company claims that it's issued a patch and that most users have installed the update. The spokesperson also stressed that in their opinion no personally identifiable information was sent so it had not violated any GDPR rules. Um, based on the information which I've seen on this, uh, frankly, I don't believe them. I think the information does breach GDPR rules, but ultimately, of course, that decision will fall to the Finnish ICO. And so, again, the issue only affects uh, Nokia 7 Plus phones, Nokia say that a software update has fixed the problem. But if you have a Nokia 7 phone, it may be worth you just making sure that your phone has updated itself to the latest version of the software from Nokia. And again, as always, when we get any more news on this, we'll bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
Some whistleblowers at British Airways have provided details to the Financial Times newspaper that they believe they've identified certainly opportunities for significant data breaches via the British Airways Tool Centre in Germany. Employees who worked at the Bremen Tool Centre in northern Germany, which is one of BA's biggest tool centres outside of the UK, said that they found vulnerabilities in data security largely posed by an archaic IT system, coupled with the rise of home working and insufficient background checks on staff. One employee, who wished to remain anonymous, but provided the FT with their former employment contract, outlined what they said were a series of violations on a daily basis that could allow unscrupulous workers to steal customer data. These allegations follow a serious hack last summer in which the details of more than 400,000 BA customers were stolen. That data breach damaged BA's reputation and contributed to making its customers disenchanted. These new claims raised in the Financial Times about the German tool centre could raise fresh worries amongst British Airways customers over whether their data is safe. When the FT put uh, detailed questions about data security at the Bremen Data Contact Centre to BA, BA issued a statement and said, we take the protection of our customers' data very seriously and we continue to invest heavily in data security. All our systems and procedures at our tool centres in Bremen and elsewhere are regularly audited. It's worth pointing out that BA's customer contact centre in Bremen is, is run by one of the airline subsidiaries, a company called Flyline Telesales and Services, which was founded in 1995. Way back in 2009, police raided the call centre and unearthed significant fraudulent activity, according to a news report from the time. One employee had been copying bank account details and using those details to clone credit cards. Now, Dobby said there's no evidence at all that this current alleged data breach has anything to do with that or indeed that that same uh, things are happening. But it does perhaps show that this centre has had a reputation in the past. The employee who didn't want to be named said that while Flyline's flexible home working concept made it easier for staff to do shifts involving tools from different time zones, it also created opportunities for employees to breach the payment card industry's rules on data processing. Industry requirements include encrypting and securely storing payment card numbers and never storing the card's security code. The CVV code, which you'll be familiar with, is the three digits on the end of the signature strip on the back of your debit or credit card. And the rules on PCI are really quite clear that those CVV numbers should never be stored outside of defined systems. However, the employee pointed out that with people working from home, there was always a danger that, that, that in, the person would be receiving the CVV number and actually making a physical note of it as well as entering it into the system. 
and with that CVV number and the credit card number and the expiry date and your address and your name of course then the potential for fraud is certainly there now BA are not alone in employing call centre people who work from home and so perhaps this has raised a bigger issue which needs to be looked at in more depth and indeed it's something we will come back to to look at more depth in a future episode of the GDPR weekly show a spokesman for BA said well even if the employees were in the tool centre the hustle and bustle of a large office would still allow employees to take information without being detected i.e. the CVV number if the employee was so minded and that's true, of course. You know, we, none of us can have 100% security, but that doesn't excuse a lapse in security if a, if a lapse occurs. Um, a company called Contact Babel um, carried out a survey of 200 UK contact centres and found that one in five, so that's some 40, UK contact centres themselves allowed home working while another 30% were either evaluating it or trialling it. Of those that allowed it they said that 16% of their staff work from home and obviously as I say this is starting to build an issue of maybe perhaps there needs to be some more thought into what call centre operators working from home are actually able to do. The other allegation by the employee was that there were insufficient security checks on BA call centre on new members of staff. Two employees said they had never been subject to a criminal record check, which German employers are not generally allowed to run because of the country's tight privacy laws. And so it will be interesting to see what happens on this. Uh, so at the moment it's just a report in the Financial Times but we will keep abreast of this and when we have any update from either BA themselves or from their subsidiary in Germany who run the call centre, uh, Flyline Telesales and Services then we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR weekly show. That's always one word, GDPR weekly show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Redscan issued a Freedom of Information request to the Information Commissioner's Office to get more information on how long companies were taking to report data breaches now that GDPR was bedded in and based on that were Facebook um, an exception to the norm in ignoring the 72 hours or were they actually just following an industry trend 
And the key findings to come out of this Freedom of Information request by RedScan are really quite interesting. Um, on average, it's taking companies 60 days to identify that they'd been the victim of a data breach. And one business took as long as 1,320 days. However, as we know, under GDPR, the 72 hours doesn't start ticking until the data breach has been discovered. So let's look on from there then. What they found was that even having identified the breach, on average, businesses were taking 21 days to report it to the ICO. So rather than 72 hours, three days, they're taking 21 days. While again, one had taken as long as 142 days. More than 9 out of 10 companies, in fact, according to the ICO, 93% of data breach reports were incomplete and particularly were not specifying the impact of the breach or they said that the companies did not know the impact of the breach at the time the breach was reported. Interestingly as well, nearly half of the data breaches that the ICO has been notified of since GDPR came into force have been notified to the ICO on a Thursday or a Friday. And that would imply, of course, that lots of data breaches possibly were happening over the weekend if it was then taking 72 hours to report the breach. Perhaps not surprisingly, it was found that financial services, which typically were taking 16 days, and legal firms, which typically were taking 20 days, were quicker to disclose breaches than other businesses where the average was working out at 27 days. However, all of these obviously fall way, way short of the 72 hours which should be happening. And a comment from the ICO was that they found that a number of companies did not, still did not have appropriate controls and procedures in place, and hence the companies themselves were finding identifying a breach to be rather like trying to find a needle in a haystack. To be fair, though, to companies, I think it would be appropriate to say that as time goes on, attacks are getting more and more sophisticated. And so, therefore, it can be much harder for companies to detect that they have had a data breach. And that's fine, I think. I mean, obviously, we'd like every company to detect a data breach as quickly as possible. And that ought to be your primary aim. But it is important to keep the 72-hour deadline in mind because I think the ICO is making fairly clear now in, in, in releases that it's making that their patience is wearing thin on companies not reporting within the 72 hours. So if you do find you have a data breach and you think you need to report it to the ICO, then do report it to the ICO within 72 hours. But remember that only the most serious data breaches actually need reporting to the ICO. So try not to raise a false flag, try not to raise an issue with them if, if it's really only a minor data breach. 
if you're unsure of whether you should be reporting a data breach or not, then please do get in contact with us um, via podcasts at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and we'll do our best to help you and to let you know whether based on our experience, our wide experience now of working with way over 150 companies, um, whether the data breach is serious enough that you need to be reporting it to the ICO or whether it's just something you should be recording in your own data breach register. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We are getting an increasing number of our customers now already contacting us to arrange an audit as now it's coming up to towards a year from when GDPR came in and they want to make sure that they're operating as they should be and we'd like to offer this service out to all of you, all of our listeners. Uh, So if you'd like us to perform an audit on your GDPR uh, operations and make sure that you are recording everything you need to be, that you have all the necessary procedures in place and that you know how to action those procedures, please do get in touch with us via podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at insurety, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. Please make the subject of your email GDPR audit and we'll get the relevant person to contact you. Um, We're able to carry out audits either on-site or remotely and for a pleasantly low cost. Um, I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised with the figure we're able to provide you with for providing the audit. I can't give a global figure here because it does affect, it does depend on how many employees, how many customers, how many records etc you have Um, but please do get in contact with us it's totally without obligation but do get in contact with us to arrange an audit because uh, if you do want the audit done around May or June of this year to be annual from when GDPR came in we are rapidly filling our diaries for that period so uh, don't delay do get in touch do it this week and we'll be pleased to provide you with a quote. And for the first five of you to contact us to request a a data audit, a data breach audit, I'm pleased to be able to say that we will provide that to you for 50% of our normal fee. But that's only for the first five of you to contact us as a result of this podcast. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We do receive a number of queries about the use of USB keys. And while we would always recommend that you make use of USB keys where the data on the USB key can be encrypted, and of course, don't just make sure that it has a facility to encrypt the data but that you actually use that facility. Some organisations we know have taken that a stage further and indeed we learned this week that Cherwell School 
in Summertown in Oxford in the UK has instructed its staff to scrap all use of USB keys and external drives for both staff and students and instead of that they're making use of a Google Drive to transfer data from home to school and back again. Possibly that's a bit OTT because GDPR doesn't say you can't use USB keys or external drives it just says that you should ensure that the data on them is encrypted. So don't necessarily throw all your USB keys away and think you have to find a total new way of working. If you're not sure, then do check with us. And also we'll be running uh, some ideas on encrypted USB keys and some sample encrypted USB keys uh, probably in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. If it's not next week, you'll certainly be in the next two weeks. Um, so don't overreact because GDPR doesn't necessarily mean the end of USB keys. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And finally this week, just a reminder that we all sometimes concentrate too much on computer records and it's not just computer records that are covered by GDPR. And I'm just going to take two examples of things which have come to light this week to highlight this to you. The first actually involves a church in the Republic of Ireland and a stall. And the stall is discontinuing its practice of having students write their sins on artwork for display at Catholic Mass amid claims it breaches privacy, GDPR, and indeed breaches the seal of confession. Children at Cratlow National School in County Clare in the Republic of Ireland were asked to write their sins on artwork to be displayed at the first confession mass in the local church on March the 13th. Around 30 pupils had made a paper cross, each with a child's photograph at its head, stretching across the arms of the cross with the word sorry in decorative writing and then below that completed by the child were the children's sins written on the shaft of the cross. Each cross was then laminated and had a ribbon to attach it to the end of a pew. A relative of one of the children said a parent had contacted Father Richard Keane, the priest for uh, the store and request him not to display the cross made by their child. The source pointed out that the same crosses had been provided in the church in the spring of 2017. Once the band became aware that similar art would be displayed, they met with Father Keane. The relative said Father Keane promised not to ring the stall to state that these crosses would not be used for any child during the Mass. However, this wasn't done. The Parents therefore reported this to the ICO and said that the use of the cross was, in their opinion, as a breach of the civil confession, a breach of GDPR and a breach of privacy rules. It was bizarre and inappropriate for children to write their sins on a cross that can be viewed by other people in the church. Naming and shaming sins is medieval, the parents said. Father Keane said that he 
worked in the marriage tribunal in Talk on Mondays and Tuesdays and due to his busy schedule he'd completely forgotten to contact the school to pass on the message. He said he hadn't introduced the practice of the crosses which had been done for years and wasn't aware of any issue. School principal Dr Susan Forley said the school hadn't been aware until one parent had raised the issue with them. So just an example there of actually what potentially is quite a serious data breach because it's sensitive data. Um, it'd be interesting to see what the Irish ICO takes into account on this. But perhaps if you are a member of a church yourself and maybe you have a similar practice or indeed you're from a school when you have a similar practice, it's probably time to stop that practice um, rather than find yourself with a penalty from the ICO and the attendant publicity that goes with it. And then the second example is from a hospital. And the hospital has not been named. But what happened in this instance was that uh, around 40 sheets of paper so actually it's printed paper, but 40 sheets of paper with patient data on them got picked up by a gust of wind and blown out of the office window. The 40 sheets, it is thought, contained the names and health numbers of approximately 300 individuals. And for 15 of the people, they contained detailed clinical notes. The staff involved acted quickly and went outside to retrieve the paper but there were six pages which they were unable to track down and couldn't find at all and so again they've had to report that because it's sensitive data had to report it to the ico now in this case will the ico take any action i really don't know i suspect they'll just get a rapid across the knuckles but I think it is an important lesson to all of us to say be careful with paperwork, particularly if it's paperwork with confidential information on it. Um, don't keep that paperwork anywhere near an open window where a gust of wind can suddenly whip that paperwork outside. And of course the same is true when you're taking paperwork in or out of your car to the office. Uh, it's some, again an issue to be aware of to make sure that you have a tight grip on any documents. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.